can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. Welcome to the One Mic, One Voice show, Building the Collective Conscious, the show that's created to give space where your voice, ideas, and a form of opinions can be heard, appreciated, and debated. I am Michael Eric Owens. Back in the studio, well, kind of, kind of remotely. You know how we do things now with, with social distancing. It's, um, yeah, it's a little different, but it is for uh, humanity and, and and I think that uh, all of us should be practicing social distancing. But I've been, I've been, um, I've been in the cellar. I've been like Ellison. I've been down in the bunker. I've been uh, on the typewriter. I've been uh, focusing on everything that's going on around us and contemplating and and uh, trying to figure out. Uh, so many unanswered questions in our society. So I've I've been on a uh, mini sabbatical, a hiatus, if you want to call it, and now I have emerged from the uh, from the cellar, so to speak. Uh, I've emerged uh, with some things to say, some things to add to the conversation. Um, I mean, I I have never seen what we are going through right now. And in the midst of the COVID-19, in the midst of um, all of the changes in social distancing and working from home and telehealth uh, and, and, and the, the over 70,000 have died in this country and the affection across the world and all of those changes, folks, listen, some things stay the same. Unfortunately, when the world seems to be spinning, there's some constants in this world. And one of those happened to be someone by the name of Amon Aubrey, 25 years old. While so much seems to be going on and everybody is attention is arrested to this idea of COVID-19, which it most certainly should be. There is something that through the linear movement from history to the present that continues to rear its ugly head. And that is the demonization of black people in this country, minorities in this country. What has not changed, what has not changed is the way black and brown folk are treated and abused and um, murdered. Yes, this young man was 25 years old. What do we know about this case? There, you know, really, to be honest with you, there's not a whole lot that's unique. There's not a whole lot that's different. And then one would, 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 simply ask the question, why does this keep repeating itself? Regardless of the NBA is shut down, all sports is shut down. 
the clock seems to have stopped ticking. But for black and brown folk, the terrorism, um, the oppression continues. This young man was 25. He was just about to turn 26 a few days ago. He was killed February 23rd. He was wearing a white t-shirt, khaki shorts, Nike sneakers, and a bandana. And he was simply going to exercise, to take a jog. Mom, I'll be right back. Go run. Trying to stay healthy. Trying to take care of myself in the pandemic. Um, So here he sets out on his day. Probably did it multiple times. He was near his mother's house. Just outside of Brunswick, Georgia. So here's this young man. He's just out running. Trying to, you know, preserve his health. Scratch his legs. And what happens? He's shot to death. Shot to death. Now, one might say you can't drive white black. One might say you can't <laughs> you can't golf white black. Yeah, somebody might say you can't even go around to the corner to get you some Skittles and some soda pop white black. But now you can't jog when you're black. Even this man, okay, we're going to go into this. I want to kind of give you, because see, what happens is what we will find out is that it took a video to bring this out. This this would have been buried. Now, it. I, what I want to say to you is that, listen, this is not um, in the minority of things that happen. This is in the majority. There are other cases out there that get buried every day, but because of social media, they didn't allow it to go away. So let's take a listen to this video and uh, we're going to come back and talk about it. His life was to jog, stay fit, and play football. He always wanted to be a professional football player. My thoughts and prayers is to the family of the young man that got killed on February 23rd. Uh, And I ask the people to stand and let the justice system take its course. In Brunswick, Georgia, frustration, disappointment, and not enough answers. You see, back in February, a young man, Ahmad Arbery, he was shot and killed after two men confronted him in what was reported to be a home burglary in progress. But now, new video of the shooting is shining new light on this case. Hinesville's district attorney just announced he will bring this case to a grand jury. And this morning, right here on Good Morning Jacksonville, Shelby Danielson, she has a closer look at newly leaked video online showing you what happened the day Arbery was shot and killed. Shortly after Ahmad Arbery's death, police came out to interview Gregory McMichael, who alleged that he saw Arbery running after what he said had been a home burglary. He said he and his son grabbed their guns and chased after Arbery in his truck. 
Now all that remains on this street where they caught up with him is this cross marking Arbery's death. In the Glynn County Police Report, Gregory McMichael says he and his son Travis grabbed their firearms and pursued Ahmad Arbery, attempting to cut him off at an intersection and then trying to intercept him on a different street, yelling at him to stop because they, quote, wanted to talk. In the video, you can see Arbery up ahead jogging the McMichael's truck waiting for him at the end of the street. In the report, Gregory McMichael alleges that Arbery, quote, violently attacked Travis. But in the video, Arbery appears to swerve out of the way, run in front of their car, away from the men. But Travis follows him with the gun, and the first of three consecutive shots are fired. There is no evidence backing up the robbery, they allege. The attorney representing the Arbery family says either way, there is no excuse these men can find to justify what they did. A citizen would actually have to observe a crime taking place. Ahmaud Arbery has only observed running down the road. And even if there's something that we didn't see off camera, these men gave statements to law enforcement. And they said we saw him, the worst that he was ever been accused of, was looking into a home that was under construction. Uh, that, that is by no stretch of the imagination a burglary or any crime whatsoever. And so without a crime, there's no purpose for a citizen's arrest. Arbery's family says he would have turned 26 years old this weekend, so they are holding a balloon release in his honor on Saturday. In Glen County, Shelby Danielson, First Coast News, on your side. Wow. Okay. Have you ever looked into a home under construction? I know I have. I mean, it's exciting. You see a new home coming up. You're like, wow, what's going on here? What the inside is like and so forth. Um. No, still lose your life over that. Um, what's interesting is these two McMichaels, Gregory and Travis, 64 and 34, um, decided to follow this man, right? Um, as he was jogging because he fit the description. I've been pulled over before, and, and uh, <laughs> when I asked the officer, okay, um, why he pulled me over, I remember one time they it was a bank robbery. I'm in a suit and tie, okay? Anybody knows me, I pretty much, on a daily basis, if I'm out under normal circumstances, I have on a suit. Officer said, I fit the description, <laughs> but he saw me from the neck up, you see? Um their implicit biases, uh, black man running, uh, had to be a robber. And so they decided to take this into their own hands. Two months, two months, these men were just free. They killed him, cornered him. Think about that. Let's go back to the narrative. This man's running. All of a sudden, this car is in front of him. He just runs around it. He's like, man, I ain't got time for y'all. I'm just running. Boom, the guy jumps out. He's got a he's got a shotgun. He's got a rifle. He's like, what's up? The guy's coming at him. He's kind of defending himself. He gets shot. There were three shots that went off. And he's dead. He's cornered. When can you chase somebody down and execute them in broad daylight? When can you? 
when they are black and brown people. Now, see, this is the problem. This is a problem. I hear the critics. I hear you. You know, we are, you're always making this about race. This is about race. And, and, the, and the more we, we go and the more we lack the courage to not address these issues, the more it happens. And I'm convinced that people just don't care. I mean, they don't. It's just another loss of a black life. And who cares? I care. Why? Because I'm human. Not just because I'm black, but I'm human. If that was a white boy that had been chased down by white men and had been cornered and shot, I would be concerned about that. That's the problem. We've come numb to this. Just another occurrence and outcry, it'll go away. Two months but two days after release of this footage that went viral, why did it take the pressure? Why didn't they do the right thing in Georgia? Well, we know the history of Georgia. All right, you, you cannot disconnect this event from historical Georgia, where Georgians have lynched people, where convict leasing was there. You cannot devoid that history. We know about the civil rights movement down there. You cannot. That's part of it. That's the connection, right? Yeah, because white folks have got away with killing blacks forever in Georgia. But you got this thing called social media now. Wow, right? And people are outraged. Come to find out the dad, Gregory, he was an investor for the DA's office. And this DA made the decision not to initially charge neither one of them, right? But they have been charged now with murder and aggravated assault. There is no hate crime in, um, there is no hate crime laws in Georgia, as well as Arkansas, South Carolina, and Wyoming. South Carolina, remember that at the roof, no hate crimes there. I don't, we're in the 21st century, folks. But I want to say this as we go to this break. I want to say this to you. That these things are responded to through the lens of white supremacy. They not only occur, but they're responded to through the lens of white supremacy through the language of white supremacy and we're going to come back here in a moment and talk about that hang in there one might one voice is back uh thanks to all my listeners for hanging in there with me going in the bunker folks we coming right back at you Oklahoma Humanities Brain Box podcast uses the humanities to take listeners on a deep dive into the issues affecting American society and culture. Join some of Oklahoma's most interesting and knowledgeable humanities scholars to explore how history, literature, ethics, philosophy, and other humanities fields inform our understanding of current events and the human experience. And to find the Brain Box podcast, simply search Brain Box podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Google Play, and any other podcasting library. 
If you have any ideas or comments rattling around in your noggin, email us at brainbox at okhumanities.org. This is Dr. Laura Gelat, and when I listen to podcasts, I always listen to the One Mic, One Voice show. All right, folks, we're back. We're talking about Brother Amon Aubrey, his tragic death, February 23rd, took two months. Took two months. It was buried. They didn't want to touch it. But a video went viral. You know, man. But how many times have we seen it, right? Kwan McDonald, Chicago, I believe. How many times have we seen it on video, right? And they say, don't believe your eyes. Right? Your lying eyes. No, there's something different. Because they began to attack with white supremacist language. Now, let me say this to you. I am not uh, sitting here this afternoon on this bright, sunny day um, trying to say to you that all white people are guilty. That's not what I'm saying to you. But what I'm saying to you is that white privilege causes certain white individuals in our country to exhibit certain behaviors, a certain behavior of superiority and superiority, certain behaviors um, that they have a right, that they are entitled Uh, to treat anybody else any way they want to. You see, white supremacy language seeks to justify the murder and will always elevate whiteness. In situations like this, it will seek to justify and elevate whiteness. Even those who do not follow any white supremacist group will use white supremacist language because it's the easiest. You've heard it before. Oh, he had past encounters with the law. So somehow, um, anything that you have done with that sort of argument means that you are a candidate to be murdered. Not just by the police, but Trevon Martin's case, okay, by George Zimmerman, right? You've heard it. He should have listened to commands. You see, white supremacist language turns the victim, right, into the perpetrator. You heard it before. All lives matter versus black lives matter. We, we, we can't just concentrate on black people. No, 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 no. White lives matter. Because they're really not saying Latino lives. They're really not saying that. They're saying white lives. Or blue lives. They're really not saying black police officers. They're saying white police officers. We understand the language. 
And this guy had told the police that um, Mr. Aubrey, Brother Aubrey, looked like the suspect in a string of nearby break-in. Looked like him. Okay. The man is running. I don't know about you. You ever try to draw a picture of somebody running? The detail of their face? Why do people sit for a portrait? Because you can't, you can't cap, you can't capture them while they're moving. But this guy, I mean, maybe he's a modern day Picasso or something, right? Maybe he, I don't know. Uh, but he said he, <laughs> he looked like him. Okay. Okay. Um, so this white supremacist language in the initial criminal complaint, and we remember we talked about the prosecutor that um, that said that, you know, he didn't charge him, right? George E. Uh, Barnham of Georgia's Wake Cross Judicial Circuit noted that the McDaniels were carrying their weapons legally under Georgia law, right? Legally. He also cited that the citizen's arrest statute now, we heard in the video how the attorney said, you, you have to have seen a crime. But he said, you know what? They, they, were, they were lawfully carrying their rep weapons. They were right in the citizens. They had every right to citizen to a citizen's arrest. Why? Because he was jogging? Because he was black? Oh, so if I think you're going to create a crime or that you might have created a crime, I can arrest you. So when I go out there, I look, you look suspicious to me. I'm going to arrest you. And guess what? If you, if you, if you try to resist, I'm just going to cap you. Okay. Okay. Let's go. Let's go on to what else he said. And he said the statue of self-defense. And this is how he argues this. Mr. Aubrey, who appeared to be unarmed. See, see, this is a white supremacist. He appeared. The man didn't have no gun. But see, I have to put that out there because then you will begin to think that maybe, maybe he has something. It appeared that he didn't have a gun. But it also, he says, appeared had initiated the fight with Travis McMichaels. <laughs> okay, let, let, let's, let's stay right here for a second. So, so I'm jogging. Somebody cuts me off, confronts me, and I initiate the contact. <laughs> is, is, is it coming after me with your gun, stopping your car in front of me, initiating something? That's like me going down to my neighbor's house, kicking in his door. He's afraid. He grabs his gun. I duck, I shoot him, I kill him, and I say, guess what? I was just doing it in self-defense. But I broke into man's house. This, this is ridiculous. How in the way, <laughs> man, come on. You know what? Some, some of this is so silly because it, it speaks to the devaluing of black life. That's the tragedy here, that you could take a young black man 
that's minding his own business, that is exercising and execute him and say it is his fault. What is his fault? His fault is breathing. His fault is living. His fault is trying to take care of himself. His fault is being black. That's his fault. There is no reason this man should be dead. There is no reason that anything should have happened. Let's see if it make this more ridiculous. Can we do that for a moment? I mean, I've been in the bunker and every now and then Richard would bring me down a sandwich, you know, little carrots or something, trying to keep me healthy, uh, organic bread and all that. <laughs> But let's 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 really really be ridiculous for a moment. Let's say a black father and son saw a white man running. Father said, "Grab your gun, son." They get in the car. They chase him down, cut him off, cornering, murdering. And let's just go and say it was on video. Let's say they use the same excuse. I thought he was going to break in and I had to run him down, you know. And uh, I was in fear. I was in self-defense. I had to do a citizen's arrest. Do black people do citizen's arrest? I don't think I ever met a black person that did citizen's arrest. I don't, maybe, maybe, maybe write me on Facebook, tell me you arrested somebody. I have never, and, and, and furthermore, I have never heard of black people chasing white people down, cornering and murdering them. I just find, find some cases out there for me where, where a black guy is running or, or <laughs> okay, I, I, I'm, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, right? But doesn't that sound silly? Do you think it would have took two months for that black father and son to be arrested? Do you think that the DA looked at that and said, nah, I don't think they did nothing wrong. That's a double standard and that speaks to white privilege in our society. And anyone that denies that, Listen, you lying to yourself and you lying to everybody around you. We know how this thing would have went if the roles were reversed. That's not justice. They said justice is blind. No, uh-uh. Justice got on magnifying glasses when it comes to black people. I just don't understand why it's so difficult for us to call a spade a spade, for us to look with our own eyes and say it is wrong. And this idea, well, you know, my heart goes out to the family, but we have to let justice take its course. Been there, done that. How many times have we seen this occur and there's an acquittal? 
There is no belief. See, see, I'm not even celebrating that they got arrested. I don't, what does that mean? If, if, if that is the bar for celebration, then we're in bad shape. Justice, right? That's what we should be going for. But let's examine a larger question. Why do some white people feel the need to confront black people? That's an important question. For instance, we, we've seen it at golf courses and swimming pools to even see if you have permission to be there. We've seen it at parks to even see if you're following the rules correctly. Now, these are not law enforcement. Now, law enforcement is guilty of racial profiling and and their intrusive ways, period. But these are just common white people. How about while sleeping in a common dorm area? You're not even supposed to be here. What are you doing here? What about even trying to go look at a house? The black couple was harassed. Or how about saying, why are you even here? Go back to your own country. Just because a person is speaking Spanish or another language. Just because you disagree with a black person, you tell them to go back to Africa. Who, why do, why is there such a need to confront black people? You see, under normal circumstances, people don't like confrontation. People don't interject themselves in the affairs of others. But not for some white folks. It's like it's their right. Why? Because they think it is their space, their city, their business. They feel like they're entitled. It's very paternalistic. I'm entitled to question you because I am better than you, smarter. The law's on my side. Some people do this consciously, their behavior, and unconsciously. But it's a sense of a feeling of privilege. I don't, again, find them for me, but I I. I, I Maybe, I'm sure it does exist, but I don't see black people confronting white people, tell them to go back to Scotland, go back to Italy, go back to Europe. I don't, I don't see that. Why is it that some white people feel as though they are privileged and that they are superior and that you are inferior and that you must answer to them. I can chase you down. I can corner you. I can arrest you. And if you don't like it, I can take your life. 
because I'm privileged and I'm protected. For two months, they thought that. For two months, they thought that. 99% of these confrontations are initiated by white people. I just, this thing called white privilege that so many people run away from. And let me tell you something about this discussion about white privilege. There are plenty of people having conversations about race and privilege and this and that. I just don't see a whole lot of people wanting to do something about it. I find myself in conversations about race and you, I can always tell when a person is irritated by me. It's pretty clear. They don't want to hear what I got to say, but, but we're actually talking about black issues and minority people. And I think I can somewhat of the subject of the matter since I am uh, kind of educated and I'm, I'm black. So I think I can speak on it, but they get irritated when I start talking about privilege and the impact in a real way because I know they don't want to talk about it. They want to talk about it in a sense where it makes them feel good. It makes them feel what they say, quote unquote, woke. I don't even like that term. I don't woke. Anyway, so they, they, they feel good when they lead the conversation. No conversation about race and discrimination, white privilege, you should never leave that conversation feeling great. If you haven't, you haven't went deep enough. Because I don't leave those conversations feeling great. Matter of fact, I leave those conversations feeling wounded because it reminds me of this. The vulnerability of being black in America. And the inability for the privileged class to do anything about it except talk, except talk. Until there's a massive anti-white privilege movement. You got scholars like Tim Wise, he's talking about it. Dr. Peggy McIntosh, she's been writing about it for years. I mean, you, you got people out there, but until there's a massive movement of white people against white privilege, Nothing's going to change. Black folks been telling you about white privilege since the outset. Hello? We can go all the way back. We've been telling you it ain't right. Discrimination is wrong. Jim Crow is wrong. Mass incarceration is wrong. We, we've been sitting in the back of the bus. We, we have been telling you, you know, segregated school. We have been telling you redlining. We have been telling you for generations about your privilege, how it affects us, how it hurts you, how it hurts our economy. Been telling you for generations. If you have to take some responsibility, not just those that, you know, we can't have the usual suspects. It's gotta be people from all walks of life understanding the depths of this issue and how American it is. 
this man didn't lose his life because two white men decided to take it. He lost his life because of slavery. He lost his life because of second-class citizenship. He lost his life because of Jim Crow. He lost his life because of convict leasing. He lost his life because of voting rights, propaganda, and, and, and poll taxes. He lost his life because America has never been able to address the, the number one sin. The number one sin of elevating one race all over all others and building a system to maintain that supremacy. It's not black or minorities people's job to educate the privilege. It is your job to confront and eradicate it. I, I encourage you today, my white brothers and sisters, there are people that do speak out. I applaud them. We need a multitude of voices not just celebrities. We need a multitude of voices from all walks of life that says, never again, this is wrong. People that utilize their privilege to wreak havoc upon those who do not must be held accountable because if not, white privilege will continue to go unchecked in our society. And no matter what's going on around us, a pandemic, a tsunami, earthquakes, devastation on the health front, it doesn't matter. No matter what's going on around us, things like this will remain constant. All we have to do is peel back the curtain of the pandemic and we see that not much has really changed because history will speak of us. Somewhere in the distant future, scribe will reach down deep into the archives of our time and what Will she find? Will she discover that we overcame our differences? Will she find that out of many, we became one? Or will she find that we solved nothing and remain a divided peoples? Yes, history will speak of us. We can beat the change that's in our life. All we gotta do is work together. Gotta raise our children better. We gotta stop the hate, stop the hate, and spread the love. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice.
Thank you for downloading the One Mic, One Voice show. This episode is brought to you by Blacken Studios. To learn more about Blacken Studios, go to blackenstudios.com or visit their Facebook page. The views and opinions of the One Mic, One Voice podcast show do not reflect the views of Blacken Studios or our other sponsors.